0: the book of Judges chapter 12 book of Judges chapter 12 Numbers Deuteronomy Joshua Judges chapter 12 and we'll just read the first seven verses so Judges 12 reading from verse 1 then the men of Ephraim gathered together and crossed over towards Zephon and said to Jephthah, "Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house, we will burn your house down on you with fire." And Jephthah said to them, "My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And When I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands." So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. The Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to them, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth, and he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. And there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. And Jephthah and the the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Jephthah was a judge in Israel. He was the illegitimate son of Gilead to a woman of ill repute. And Eamon Gilead's wife gave him other sons, and whenever they had full grown, they threw. Jephthah out of the family house because they did not want him to have any part of their inheritance. So Jephthah went and dwelt in the land of Tob. And uh, while he was there, there gathered around him uh, men of questionable character, a bit like David in the cave of Adullam. But he knocked these men into shape and he himself became a, a valiant fighter and warrior and they had great raiding bands in the land of Tob. Meanwhile, some of Israel's bitterest enemies, Ammon, began to make war against the Gileadites. And the Gileadites uh, sent for Jephthah because his reputation became legendary among the Gileadites. And they knew that he was a great fighter, and so they sent for him to fight against the Ammonites and they had to swallow their pride because he demanded that they make him ruler over the Gileadites. And you can imagine here was the outcast who came back again and now he was going to be ruler over them. But they did swallow their pride and they promised that he would be their ruler if uh, they won the battle against the Ammonites. Long story short, Uh, He really did not want to enter into this fight with the Ammonites, so he tried to pacify them and talk to them and try to, uh, I suppose, be political and be diplomatic, but they would have none of it. Uh, They were spoiling for a fight. And so he gave them what they wanted, and he won a great battle against the Ammonites. But just when that issue was settled, another sprang up. And that's just like the devil, isn't it? You know, if he can't get you from the outside, he'll try to defeat you from the inside. And so the Ephraimites, they took umbrage against Jephthah and the Gileadites. And their argument was that he had not called them to fight against that common enemy. And even though, as you saw there, uh, whether that was actually true or not, certainly... Uh, Jephthah said, well, I did call you, but you wouldn't come. And he said, because you wouldn't come, we went on ahead and we fought this battle. and The Lord was on our side and we won the battle. But Ephraim, you see, was the largest tribe in Israel. And they didn't like the idea of this upstart. This Gileadite, this illegitimate son of Gilead, actually winning this great battle. It made them look bad. And so out of jealousy and pride, uh, they had this... Argument, and again, in order to avoid a, a civil war between these two tribes in Israel, uh, Jephthah tried to reason with them and be conciliatory, but like the Ammonites, they would have none of it, and so they went to war. And we saw there how that the Gileadites under Jephthah uh, beat the Ephraimites and won that great battle. Most church splits. And most church wars are the result of someone's pride. Somebody wouldn't back down. However, in spite of Ephraim's superior numbers, Jephthah and the Gileads won this battle. But it's this particular unusual event at the fords of Jordan that I want to specifically draw your attention to this morning. And if I may just read that again in verse 5 and 6. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived, and when an Ephraimite who'd escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say, then say, Shibboleth, and he would say, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right, then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan, and there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites." Now, considering that these were all men of Israel, and considering that they would look the same, their skin colouring, their facial features, all would look the same. In fact, they would probably all be actually dressed the same. So the only way of knowing whether they were Ephraimites or Gileadites was this business of saying this particular word. Shibboleth. And even though their language was the same, yet there was a difference, a slight difference in their accent or their dialect. And the Ephraimites couldn't quite pronounce Shibboleth the way that the Gileadites could. The Gileadites would set with a hard S, Shibboleth. The Ephraimites could only set with a soft S, Sibboleth. And as soon as they did that, it gave away who they were. Their shibboleths betrayed them. Their speech, their language, what they said, actually betrayed. It showed who they really were. Whenever Peter was out in the courtyard, whenever Jesus was being tried, you remember how he denied him three times? And how that uh, first of all, a little girl came to him and said, "Weren't you one of them?" And he said, "No, no, no, not me." Then somebody else came. I I think I saw you with them. No, 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 not me. And then one said, "It was you, because your speech betrays you." Because he was from Galilee, he was from Bethsaida. He was a fisherman. He was a countryman, in fact. And here he is in the big city in Jerusalem. And how many people know that country people speak different than city people? And so even his very speech betrayed him. I've said this to you before, I'm sure it bears repeating. Many, many years ago, I was in Toronto in Tammy City. And I was getting a bus ticket to take me to Chicago, Illinois. And I, they told me it was, in, it was in Chinatown, Toronto was the area and I'm standing in Chinatown, Toronto, here I am from Northern Ireland, asking for a bus ticket at the ticket desk. There were several people behind ticket desks in a row, and I'm just standing in this line here. And as soon as I asked for my ticket, I don't know what I said or the conversation I had, but a head popped at one of the ticket sellers farther down the row. He pops up his head and he says, do you know where Wilson's Row and Bolly Clare is? <laughs> Not only did he recognise I was from Northern Ireland, he knew the very town I was from. My shibboleth betrayed me. I couldn't hide it. Something came out that he recognised. That's a Ballyclare man. remember one time reading the Belfast Telegraph about a man. He was standing in Bondi Beach in Australia. And he was at an ice cream seller. And he says there was a line of us, And he says, I didn't know anybody. Certainly he didn't know the man in front of me. And he didn't know me. And nobody was saying anything until you got to ask for what you wanted. So he says, the man in front of me said, two pokes, please. (laughs) No guessing where he came from. (laughs) Needless to say, the man in Bondi Beach had no idea in the world what two pokes were. (laughs) Now as Christians, we ought to have a different accent. We ought to speak differently and talk differently than the world around us. Now I'm not talking here about the inflection in your voice or some funny way that you pronounce some things, we all have that. But what I'm saying here is what are you accentuating? What are you emphasizing? What are you stressing in conversation as a Christian? Does your shibboleths reveal you to be a believer? Do you recognize, would you be recognized by other people that you're a Christian by the things that you say? By your talk? I do worry sometimes that there are Christians who are very careful to reveal their shibboleths to the world around them. By their conversation, people would be very hard-pressed to know if they truly were believers or not. They don't seem to want to give the game away. I remember one time working with a man for eight years, I, I, in the place where I worked there was a number of believers, there was hundreds who weren't, but there was, in the area I was in, out of maybe a hundred men, there was probably about six or eight believers. We would have great conversations. Especially when you start the night shift on Sunday night at eleven o'clock. I was church today and you talked about the meetings and what the preacher preached on all the rest of it. But there was one guy and it wasn't until the week I was leaving. It wasn't till after eight years. It was only then he revealed to me that he was a believer. I never knew. Nobody else ever knew. He never talked about the Lord. He never talked about eternal things. He never talked about the house of God. It was almost as if he kept the whole thing a secret. And I thought, I was shocked. I thought to myself, well, if he didn't talk to us believers about the Lord, you're certainly not talking to unbelievers about the Lord. He didn't want his shibboleths to give him away. Yes, I understand that there's more to the Christian life than your talk. There's also your walk and your walk has got to tally with your talk. But what comes out of your mouth is very, very important. Even when it comes to salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him up from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There's something about expressing with your mouth, the things of God. Salvation certainly is a personal thing, but it's never a private thing. It's personal to each one of us. Each one of us is different testimony. It's personal to us. But It's not a private thing. It's something that we talk about. We talk about the Lord. We talk about the things of God. Our speech reveals a lot about us, does it not? Luke 6.45 A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If it's in your heart it'll come out over your lips sooner or later. Even accidentally it'll pop out, won't it? (laughs) It's not a big distance from your heart to your mouth. Sure it's not. And sooner or later it's going to come out. So let's make sure the right thing comes out. Psalm 45 and 1. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Ecclesiastes 10 and 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious? Hmm. Are our shibboleth gracious? Or do we just open our mouth and just anything and everything comes out? That's why sometimes it's better just to keep it shut, isn't it? Jesus, they said about Jesus, they wondered At the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. Never man spoke like this man. He spoke with authority, not as the scribes. No wonder Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus was very, very careful about how he spoke. And what he said and when to speak up and when to shut up huh. that was the thing that amazed Pilate when he stood before him wasn't it are you not going to defend yourself are you not going to say anything in your defense don't you know I have the power to take your life But nothing fears Jesus sure didn't He spoke up when he needed to speak up and he kept quiet when he needed to keep quiet. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Salt stops corruption, doesn't it? And even though our words are to be gracious, yet, there's going to be times when we're going to have to say things that are salty, that will stop corruption. Salt often was used in a wound to bring healing. Ephesians 4:29: Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification? that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so our speech reveals a lot about us. certainly revealed a lot about Jesus, didn't it? They were amazed about how he spoke. Peter's shibboleths betrayed him over and over and over again. a shibboleth of pride that night in that room where they were having the last supper. When they all arrived, someone normally would have been there to wash their feet having walked the dusty roads. But nobody was there to do that. No servant was there. So Jesus waited to see which one of them would be the servant and wash the feet But none of them would do it. Not one of those disciples felt that they would stoop low enough to wash each other's feet because they were leaders. Remember what Jesus did? He took the towel, the servant's apron, he put it around himself and he got a basin of water and he bent down on his knees to wash the disciples' feet. And in his pride, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Because I don't want pride in my team. I want those with servant hearts. That's what he was saying. I want servant hearts. And so he said, (laughs) typical Peter, well, not just my feet, then wash all of me. He says, No, it's only your feet dirty. But you see, it was his pride. That was a shibboleth that gave him away, wasn't it? It was a shibboleth of self-confidence that caused him to say that night, though all these forsake you, yet will I never forsake you. That's a big statement, isn't it? I'm not like the rest of the disciples, Lord. Oh, I know they're all skirties. And when heat, heat's on, they'll run, but not me. I'll never forsake you. Hmm. That was self-confidence, wasn't it? A shibboleth of ignorance caused him to say to Jesus, Jesus was telling him about he was going to have to die. And in his ignorance he said, Not so, Lord. This shall not be done unto you. Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be done unto you. Hadn't got a clue what he was saying. Not a notion. Completely spiritually ignorant when it came to the mission that Jesus had come to do. He'd been around him a long time. Jesus had told him, but they didn't get it. Just didn't get it. Couldn't understand how a Messiah could die. He's here to kick the Romans out. He's here to be a great military political leader to lead our nation from the bondage of Rome. All this talk of death and dying didn't add up to him. And the Shibboleth betrayed him. It's the same amount of transfiguration, wasn't it? Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let us stay up here. This is wonderful. This is exciting. God spoke from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Again, Luke's gospel tells us that Moses and Elijah were speaking to Jesus about his decease and the things that he would accomplish at Jerusalem. And Peter's there hearing that, listening and he still doesn't get it none of the disciples got it it was way off their radar surely this must be a mistake I can't be hearing this they're all in denial because they were ignorant then a shibboleth of fear that caused him to say when he was warming his hands around that fire, I never knew the man. And then the rooster crowed. And he realized to his shame what he'd done. But it was fear. That big proud boast. If everybody leaves you, I'll be the only one left. And here he is saying, I never knew the man. (laughs) A sheveleth of fear. But now I see Peter on the seashore that morning when Jesus took them aside. And he took Peter aside and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And all of that Pride and all of that self confidence is gone. Stuffing has been knocked out of him. <laughs> He's been humbled to the dust and he knows it. No proud bragging this time. Lord, you know that I am very fond of you. <laughs> Couldn't even say I love you. See him on the day of Pentecost preaching that wonderful sermon about the death and the resurrection of Christ. And all of that fear and all of that spiritual ignorance is gone. It's gone forever. He knows why Christ came. He knows what the mission had been now. He understands it now. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. What a message he preaches. He's got a different shibboleth now, hasn't he? His language has changed. His words are different. And whenever we become believers, there's something changes in us. Lots of changes, and one of them is how we talk, isn't it? Do you know that Colonel Sanders, the late Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken fan, he became a believer late on in life, by the way. My former pastor preached in the church where he was a member and the pastor of that church said when he got saved he came to me and says I want to give my tithe to this church. Can you imagine Colonel Saunders' tithe? (laughs) But he said he stood up in this church behind this pulpit he says and he gave his testimony and he openly admitted that he was the most foul-mouthed blasphemous man that you could ever meet until Christ saved him. Then he had a different language. And he gives us a different language, doesn't he? Something changes about our words. Your words are more powerful than you can imagine. They have much more power than we even think. And this is why we've got to be careful what we say. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Hmm. That's big, isn't it? Death and life. There's no small stuff there, I'm sure there's not. Death and life is in the power of the tongue by the words that we say and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what fruit are we eating? Fruit of death or the fruit of life? What do we love? What do we like to talk about? Hmm? When you're in conversation, what do you like to talk about? Well, I know we've got to talk about lots of things. Make small talk and common talk and talking about family and talking about job and talking about the weather. Lots of things to talk about. But do we talk about spiritual things too? Is that part of our vocabulary? Would anybody know if we're a believer in the workplace? Would our neighbors know? What are friends know, what our family know. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, those who love it will eat its fruit. It's got much more power than you can ever imagine. This is why the Bible has much to say about what we say. Because what we say is going to affect not only ourselves, it's going to affect those around us, isn't it? Hmm? Isn't that true? just doesn't stop with us, sure it doesn't. But those whom we talk to, we associate with. What are we known for? Say, well, I talk to the Lord, people won't talk to me, will avoid me. Well, some may, so be it. But then there's others that'll be drawn to it. In the little book of James. Chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word... He is a perfect or a mature man. Able also to bridle a whole body. Indeed we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and a bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring is both salt water and fresh. Ah. No man can tame the tongue unless by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. And this is part of what the fruit of the Spirit does it changes our language, how we talk. All of us, I'm sure, without exception, has been caught out by our tongues, haven't we? Our shibboleth betrayed us. We were doing so well. We were being ever so careful. But then it popped out. In the heat of a moment, when the red mist descended, Hmm? looking at your religious faces this morning, I don't think any of you has ever felt the red mist descend. You're all looking like choir boys and choir girls. But I know better. All of us has been in that position. And suddenly we let rip. And we said things that we should not have said. If only we could have just grabbed those words and pulled them back, but it was too late they're gone and they've reached their target and we may say I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that and we may be genuinely meaning that I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that but it's still said and the person that we said it to has got to deal with the aftermath. All of us have done that and this is what James is talking about full of deadly poison. And that gets into the spirit, doesn't it? And all of us has been the recipients of that. Somebody said something to us that hurt, that got in, that was hard to shake off, that you went to bed thinking about, you get up in the morning thinking about. And even though that person even though it has moved on, or maybe could care less. there's not even thinking what they said to you that hurt you. But you're left with it. And you have to deal with it. Because that poison has got in. And you've got to be careful that it doesn't become bitter in you. and start to spread. What he said, it defiles the whole body. And it can defile the whole body of Christ just by saying the wrong things. And so are shibboleths. We've got to watch very, very carefully. If you think James is being strong, if you think he's been a wee bit over the top, if you think he's setting a high standard, nothing compared to what Jesus said. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, Brute of vipers, he's speaking here to the scribes and Pharisees. Brute of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things, an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, listen to this. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That's a scary thought there, isn't it? You think James is being tough? For every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Whew. You know, when you read that half a dozen times and think about it, It gets worse. You began to think about some of the idle words that you spoke. Some of the stuff that comes out of your mouth sometimes. Not too good. You think, boy, will I have to give an account of that? Well, that's what Jesus said. Unless we repent of it. Unless we say, I'm sorry, I'm truly sorry. I said that. Allow the Lord to forgive it, to wipe it away. So it's a serious business. Those 42,000 Ephraimites, just one letter cost them their lives. Just the difference between saying Shibboleth and Sibboleth cost them their lives. Made all of the difference. Because this affects our spiritual lives. If we don't tame the tongue, it will affect your spiritual life big time. You can't live a spiritual life and allow your tongue to run riot. You can't, it doesn't work. Your spiritual life will suffer because of it, apart from everybody else around you suffer. But your spiritual life will suffer damage, great damage. It will kill your spiritual life. You have to tame the tongue. So, what are our shibboleths today? What is our talk like? If we're around unbelievers, are we like the chameleons? Do we just want to blend in that they don't know any difference, or are we different? My uh, eldest sister, she was in a shop one day, and there was two ladies—one behind the counter and one front of the counter—and they're in a conversation. And she says, as I stood there, she says the name of Jesus was being used over and over and over again, just as a swear word. And so she said, I stood for a minute or two and I could take this no longer. So she says, Excuse me, ladies, I hear you're talking about a dear friend of mine. And they looked at her as if to say, What? You're talking about a dear friend of mine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're blaspheming his lovely name. Why are you doing that? (laughs) And she says immediately, the whole conversation changed. And she says one in particular apologized. Said, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry, I didn't realize. She said, no, well, I thought that the way you were talking so loosely about him. But he's my dear friend because he died on a cross for me and he died on a cross for you too. Hmm. What's her shibboleth like? That would stop the conversation right there, wouldn't it? That would change the tenor of things a little bit. And there's lots of people like that, aren't they? They just don't think. I never think that about Allah or Muhammad, but they don't seem to worry about Jesus or Christians. doesn't matter about offending us, sure it doesn't. But what about us? How do we talk? What do we say? What are our shibboleths? What betrays us as Christians? What gives the game away? Hmm. Isn't it nice if you're in conversation maybe with a total stranger and you just happen to say something that they pick up on and then you realize and they say, "Oh, you a Christian? Because you just said something that they recognize because maybe they're a believer too. And it's lovely when that happens. But It's even nicer if it's a non-believer and you say something and they pick up on it. Because the Spirit of God's been convicting them. And the Spirit of God's been dealing with them about eternal things. And just in your conversation, just one little word you said, they just picked up on that. Sally and I, uh, years ago we were, it was Spain somewhere we were in, it was a holiday we were on. And it was one of those where typically, you know, the next morning first thing or was it the day you arrived, one or the other, where the the person who's supposed to look after you in your holidays, you know, the rep, they get you together and, and, you know, they give everybody drinks and then they talk to you, but they're trying to sign you up for something, that's basically what they're doing, they're trying to sign you up for a trip or something. So Sally and I, and I think it was Claire and somebody else, we were all sitting around this table, and uh, they were busy going around and offering drinks of all kinds. So we just says, Cokes. And uh, later on, a girl came to us and she said, Do you mind if, if I ask you something? I says, No. She says, Are you Christians? We well, says, Yes, we are. Oh, I thought that, she said. I says, Why? Well, she says, Everybody was taking the drink, but you just took the Cokes. She says, I thought that would a bit unusual. So I thought I would ask you. And I said, well, why are you asking? She says, I'm a backslider. I says, where are you from? She says, South Africa. And she says, I used to go to a big, it's a big mega church in South Africa a few years ago. And I came here to work. And she says, my spiritual life has just nosedived. And I'm with this guy who's not a believer. And she says, it's just nosedived. She says, would you mind She says, I'm off Sunday morning. She says, would you mind if I came to your apartment and had a talk with you as a family? And she came. She came that Sunday morning for the next two hours. We sat and chatted about the Lord and scriptures. And it was wonderful. It was great. And it wasn't that we had said something, but we had done something that was unusual to her that she picked up on that she recognized. And it gave us a wonderful opportunity. Now, I don't know what's happened to that girl. There's been never any contact since. But at least... The Lord cared enough about her to put us in her pathway to try to make a difference, to draw her. So what are shibboleths today? What do we say? What do we share? What do we speak about? Would people recognize we were believers if they met us for any length of time? If they worked with us for any length of time? If they came next door for any length of time? Would they know? Remember the story I told you about what happened to me and Moira as we close? How I was knocking doors one night up around there, up Claremont Way. I knocked on this door. Lovely Christian girl opened the door. It was a late summer evening, and and I introduced myself, and she says, "I'm a believer. I'm a Christian." I says, "That's great, wonderful," and. Uh, so she wanted to talk and talk and talk, and I says, look, it's great talking to you, but I must move on because it's getting dark, and I just want to finish the wee cul-de-sac. She says, don't go next door. I says, why? "Ooh, rough crowd, rough crowd, she says. Don't get near them. I says, well, look, I can't bypass it. I'll have to go. I can't just bypass their door. So I ain't got up with and kind of fear and trembling. Think, oh, there's a rough crowd. This is going to be bad, this. I open the door, and sure enough, this big guy, long black hair with earrings in, and big fella, oh, he's about six foot. He's like a barn door. He'd end up here and says, What do you want? <laughs> I says, Well, my name's David. I didn't even say it. I says, My name's David, and I'm just going around the neighborhood tonight. I'm just telling people about the love of God. Can I talk to you about that? Certainly, he says, go ahead. And for the next 20, 25 minutes, I had a wonderful conversation about Jesus. And he stood there, and then he says, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And he was ever so nice. And I thought to myself, here's this lady next door, a believer, that she has never, ever, ever talked to these people. All to her was, they're a rough crowd. But she's never shared the love of God with them. She hid her shibboleth. She didn't reveal it. It's amazing what you say reveals who you are. Amen? Let's pray. We're going to take a few moments around this table this morning. I'm going to invite those who are coming to serve to please come.